Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras, is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Well, welcome. I'm Elaine miller Karras, and I'm so excited today because I have with me Dr. Michael Sapp, the Chief Executive Officer of the Trauma Resource Institute that we've t- talked a bit about during the, the months of, of this program. We are also live streaming at Facebook Live um, at Resiliency Within, so please join us if you'd like to join us on Facebook Live. But we, Mike and I, you know, we're leaders of the Trauma Resource Institute, and you know that the Trauma Resource Institute is a sponsor of this program. But we, as the leaders, have had many conversations um, of the challenges of being leaders during the pandemic, and so that we would find that we both love, we we both are pretty. Um, I'd say we have pretty good senses of humor. And yeah. we found ourselves, uh, Mike, um, talking about Ted Lasso a lot because we said, you know, we kind of like this show, not only as trauma therapists, which we both are, yeah. because it talks a lot about trauma, but it also talks about transformation, which we also are um, great students of. And we've seen a lot of transformation, not only during the pandemic, but through the course of our careers, you as a psychologist, me as a licensed clinical social worker. So the program today is called Trauma Transformation and Ted Lasso. So many of us needed a break from the pandemic. We certainly did. And the usual windstorms of life. We needed a respite, a journey reminding us of decency, kindness, compassion, and I'd say a folksy wisdom that Ted Lasso has. And over the last two seasons of Ted Lasso on Apple TV Plus original, I have laughed, I've cried, I've been deeply touched, I've been angry um, by the lived experience of Ted Lasso and the wonderful characters that have come into his life. So what's you know? So some of you may not have watched Ted Lasso, so we're going to encourage you to do that. But we're also going to let you know too, a spoiler alert. We're going to talk about things that have already happened because the second season, um, we just uh, were able to live stream it on last Friday. But Ted Lasso really is about an American football coach hired to manage a British soccer team. What he lacks in knowledge, he makes up with optimism, determination, and we'll explain that biscuits in a second. Ted is described as winning others over with his decency and his relentless optimism. But his his decency and his relentless optimism is anchored in the character's own painful struggles and is displayed within the context of other characters' struggles with pain that often play out in revenge, greed, selfishness, and general lack of care of others. Ted Lasso offers an example of what else could be true in how we treat others and value and respect amidst our own pain and challenge. It also demonstrates that a compassionate and kindly stance can transform people and systems. However, during this last season, we saw a beloved character, we call, his name is Nate, exhibit behaviors that were unexpected. And I know um, kind of reading the tweets and the things online, a lot of people were really upset with Nate. And we have a a, um, a certain opinion about maybe what happened to Nate. And we're not giving up on him at this point in time. And we'll tell you why that is. And so we're going to explore the themes of Ted Lasso 
and really how relevant the character's journey is to many of us. And I have to say for myself, yes, I've been betrayed. I've been deceived. I've been belittled. I've been abused. I've been traumatized. I've also had people that thought that I wasn't capable of doing certain things that I ended up being very capable of doing. And, um, but honestly, many of these experiences have often transformed me, not without pain and suffering, but they've been transformational. So, Mike, I think that's happened to you, too. We've talked about that through our own journeys. Do you have anything to, that you want to start out with as we get started talking about Ted Lasso today? You know, I, I think I will start with this because as a show, I remember in the beginning, um, uh, it was probably about, I'm a big fan as Elaine knows that, and as anybody that has talked with me for more than 10 minutes, you probably have found out that I'm a big fan of the English Premier League, which is the, 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 the soccer, as we say in America, league over in England. And, um, and so about four, I think it was four or five years ago, I think, um, I remember seeing an ad that they put out because uh, whatever channel had taken over the rights and was airing it in America hired Jason Sudeikis, who is the star and creator of Ted Lasso, to create a character. And that's the character he created for these commercial spots to kind of get people interested. And it was this, this American football coach being hired to coach an England Premier League soccer team and just how fish out of water he is, all that stuff. So when I first came across the show, when I saw that it was going to be um, aired, I, I remember really loving those commercials because they were just funny to me. But I, I remember thinking at the time going, well, I'm going to check it out. But I wonder if it's going to be like those, some of those movies that are based on certain characters. You know, I noticed there, there have been plenty of movies and shows that I've seen based on, say, Saturday Night Live character or some other character that was kind of a one trick pony. It lasted for about, you know, it was really funny for the first few minutes. But then afterwards, you're like, OK, it didn't really have legs. You know, I was I'm just shocked at, at, at how much I adore this show and how much it speaks to me beyond just this little uh, bit you know, I mean, it should have just been a very, you know, I, I remember reading a quote early on that said, the show has no right being as good as it is. <laughs> and that, that I truly, you know, and, and so the more we talk about it, and I, and I laugh because I think earlier you said we, we talk about it a lot. I think that's almost po- possibly an understatement. We, 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 we love the show and we love what it shows and some of the themes it touches on because like you said, Elaine, it's this relentless optimism, but it's not a relentless optimism that's, um, that's delusional. It's very much anchored in the, the pain and the challenge and the struggle. And I, I think for me, um, it, it offers a glimpse into something that I want to aspire to because it's not unrealistic. It, it can feel like that. There are certain quotes that he has. I'm like, oh, that's a quaint folksy wisdom kind of quote, but it's rooted in pain. It's rooted in challenge. And um, and also in wisdom, I think, of having been through some difficult times. Exactly. So I want to say that um, one of the things that we, reason the reason we wanted to highlight it on this show is some of the very last lines of the last episode of the second season has to do with mental health. And how oftentimes people who have had mental health struggles have been ridiculed, have been um, really uh, made to feel like they're less less than because they have had that challenge. I think we recently saw it in the Olympics when one of the leading gymnasts decided not to perform for her well-being. And so here we have in the show, he is betrayed by someone who he has mentored. 
who tells a newscaster that he had a panic attack during um, uh, the, one of the key games. And so, of course, it's all over the press, and he's now having to live with the fallout for that. But, you know, Mike, I think I, I'm going to ask you a question that I kind of know the answer to, but mm-hmm. we're having a staff meeting these last two days, and one of our staff mentioned something about panic attacks. Can you say a little bit about that and why it's important to our listeners that, that maybe saw Ted Lasso have at least two panic, panic attacks? And how do we get through those when we use the skills of the community resiliency model? Um, so we were really, we had a, a morning session where we all talked about at our staff meeting about what were our favorite moments of the community resiliency model, which helps to really promote uh, well-being. So Mike, you want to share what was one of the topics that came up? Well, yeah. And I think it, it for me, it highlights the struggle that a lot of us have, that a lot of us may struggle with panic attacks. We may struggle with uh, depressive episodes. We may struggle with a lot of those things. And it the the episode where that comes out and the subsequent episodes, I think, hopefully help humanize that experience and um, and how uh, debilitating that kind of experience can feel in the moment and um, and how in those moments it can feel like survival. It can feel like I am going to die and that's how your body feels. And I think what what when we talk with people about something like a panic attack and when the body is responding in a way that it, that really is communicating as if it's under attack and it is uh, it's life or death that that sometimes talking about things um, you know I don't know if it, if anybody's ever been told to calm down in the middle of you know feeling that kind of panic well we know that that verbal command just doesn't work or else we'd be out of a job right but I think that what we try to emphasize is how do we communicate and help our body and our nervous system uh, reset? How do we help soothe the nervous system so that then the survival part of our brain, the survival part of our, our experience starts to be able to, to recognize that maybe right now it's not life or death. And so really, you know, it's not, uh, while breathing exercises for a lot of people can be very helpful, it's more, it can, it, it, it's more than that. How can we use some of the skills that we teach in our models, the community resiliency model, uh, the wellness skills of the, tra- uh, the trauma resiliency model to practice these skills so that we can help our nervous system come back into balance. And so that those, the, the symptoms that we experience with panic attacks start to, the volume starts to turn down and we, we can feel much more in control and not as stuck in that moment. Does that well, yeah, and I think that I want to share, you know, not to reveal the person's name, but the person shared as we were going around in a circle, the moment when um, this person experienced a panic attack. And so one of the, the, the facilitators of our training, they went into a, a private Zoom room and the, she was helped by one of our facilitators. And this person shared with us that had many um, panic attacks in her life, but never before had she come back into balance so quickly. And then usually she said that she would have five or six, so it almost set off like a domino reaction. And then it didn't any longer. But I think when I was really struck, I hadn't heard the story before, but when we work with the nervous system and we pay attention to the sensations of well-being, that can reset the nervous system. And I think that was a perfect example, but it was very touching to her and the person uh 
and, you know, we were just kind of tearing up with, you know, saying how transformative that can be. And so in Ted Lasso's case, the one that I, you know, remember is when Rebecca, who is the person who brought him to England to be the coach, who really brought him there because she wanted him to fail, sees that he's struggling and she comes out and we see her humanity at that point, literally getting on the ground with him, really, really touching him and being with him which is also something that sometimes can help with panic attacks is being with that person who's struggling and also noticing that he could breathe and he could catch his breath. And then he came back into what we would call the resilient zone. He became in this more balanced way. But I think, and what was the, it came out of the blue. He was listening to that beautiful song, Let Let It Go. Yes. And so when she was singing it, it sparked something in him. And for those of you listening, anything, if we have panic attacks, Anything can spark a panic attack based on our lived experience. But I think what we want to get across today, too, is the importance that you can get help, that you're not alone. And I can, you can see with, with Ted in the show, he uh, reluctantly starts working with the psychologist who um, I just loved, love her. Um, and she, in her own really wonderful way, started talking with him about his lived experience. And then we found out that Ted's father had committed suicide and that he was the one who found the body. And so I'm just going to say for anyone who's listening, who's had this experience, remember that there's help. There's national suicide crisis lines. If this is going to make you feel a little bit wobbly on the inside or even more than that, because we're talking about that. But what did Ted choose to do, Mike? When he had this experience in one of the episodes, he talks about what he chose to do. Do you remember that one? Well, and I'm, I'm not sure if you're talking about what she asked him to share uh, a, a story of what he liked about yes. his right? dad. Yes. Right. So she and he said and he kind of looked at her kind of quizzically. Right. And she said, well, you've told me all the things that you that have been hard. What is something that you really liked about your dad? And and then he shared uh, a story of, uh, I think it was a homework assignment that he failed to do and a, a book that he was supposed to read, but didn't. And um, the dad stayed up all night unbeknownst to him. And the next day, instead of having Ted said, instead of riding on my bike to school, he offered to give me a ride. And during that car ride, he recounted everything about the book so that I could go into school feeling more prepared for this test. And his mood, you know, and this, again, this is what I love about betrayal of Ted Lasso is you could see the mood shift for him. And I, we see that all the time when we, we work in this way. I, I've seen it as a clinician all the time when we work in this way where we cannot minimize, not negate the, the, the challenge, the, the awfulness of some of those lived experiences but to be able to pull in the what else is also true. And I think that was, a to me, that was a really beautiful illustration of how that can be so effective. Um, and again, even though this is a scripted TV show, it, it aligns with what we see all the time when we work in this way, where when we can shift our attention to something else that is also true, the strength, the resilience, it can help, again, bring our system back into balance and help us to see a, a wider vista. And we see that wider vista. He can remember all the things about his dad. And we'd already had some little glimmers of his dad when he won um, the dart contest against the uh, uh, the oh, Rupert, yeah. who has is really the, one of the antagonists of the show. And I also want to talk a little bit about that because he talked about how he would go every weekend with his dad and they would play darts. 
Mm-hmm. And one of the quotes that comes from this is that um, as, as he wins the match, which Rupert is completely, you know, had underestimated Ted Lasso's ability to play darts. He says, people have been underestimating me my whole life. And then he's, he, he uh, recites the quote from Walt Whitman, be curious and not judgmental. And so he was saying that just as a life lesson. If he was less judgmental, if Rupert would have been less judgmental about who Ted Lasso is on the planet and would have been curious about him and asked him questions maybe to build relationship, he would have found out that he actually was an expert (laughs) dart player. He probably wouldn't have asked him to take the match because uh, Rupert lost the much desired um, goal that he had in mind about um, the league. But I thought that is, was so important because I'm sure some of you might be listening and saying, boy, people have underestimated me too. And sometimes they've been surprised at my capacity, my ability to do things that maybe they didn't think I could do. You know, how many times have I heard from people saying to me, oh, the, the teacher didn't believe in me, but then some teacher did believe in me. And after that, I, I became really good at school. But if it wasn't for that one person that had that belief that maybe I wouldn't be here right now. And so that's, I guess, the other part. You know, what does he put into the locker? What's the sign that he puts in the locker room, Mike? The first. Just simply believe, right? Believe. First episode. And and so we see that belief is a big part of um, what he's wanting. All the players is, is it to believe that they could win? But to me, what, you know, here I am, I'm not um, the soccer or the football fan that you are. I can't say football when we're talking about the, the league in, in, in the UK. But, um, but he really wants people to believe in themselves. And that's when we see the unfolding of a number of characters. And, I, and I'm going to bring Nate in right now because I remember when he asked Nate his name. And then he remembered Nate's name. He said, oh, you want my name? He goes, oh, you remembered my name. And so Nate went from being invisible to being visible. And we saw it through the first season how he not only became visible, he would ask him his opinion about the soccer plays. And at the very end, can you, can you share with people what the, very, the, last, the last episode of the last season, what happened to Nate? He, he flipped. Yeah. You mean the the one in the in the second episode? Uh, the no, second I'm, season? Yeah, I'm saying I'm saying that in the first season, he was given the role of being a coach. Yes, and, and everyone was so excited, and I think he yes. was so surprised because he thought he had been fired. Yep. And Ted Lasso believed in him so much because he had a very, if you look at the hierarchy of a of an organization, his position was kit boy, so he took care of the gear. He took care of the gear, and he was promoted at the end. And so I don't, that episode for me, I was crying seeing Nate, you know, because how many of us had been in a position where there was a surprise because someone recognized us and they became, and we were visible for the first time. Well, and I was going to add that Nate wasn't only just invisible because there was that part of it, which, you know, when we talk about stuff like microaggressions, right, that there is an invisibility that can be a microaggression, but he was also the victim of bullying throughout some of that first season that some of the players uh, would pick on him and would bully him. And so again, to see uh, him be known by the coaching staff, to be elevated, to be respected for what he could bring and what he did bring to the success of the club. You know, I just think that that 
Um, it was, I, I agree with that was one of my favorite uh, moments in season one is to see him. I uh, recognized as uh, a coach in a way that he would have never imagined. Well, and also, um, I think in addition to that, um, when some one of the team members came up to him and said, oh, you need to do something about this. They're bullying Nate. What he did is he enlisted the leader, Roy Kent. Mm-hmm. And Roy Kent did not want to be the one who was protecting Nate. He didn't even know Nate's name, I think, last yeah. name. And then all of a sudden, I think the, we see Roy Kent awaken. And there's a scene where he goes into a bar and accosts. <laughs> the main bully. <laughs> yes, the, the one of the main bullies. And, and there's a shift that happens in Roy Kent. But there's also, you started seeing a shift when people who were invisible or were the recipients of microaggressions and not even microaggressions. Right. I mean, those were just well, outright aggressions. aggressions yeah. um, start stepping up and saying, no, this is wrong. Because yeah. then it starts changing a system. Mm-hmm. And so for me, yes, we're talking about Ted Lasso, but we're talking about system change, right? We've been big believers of that. And also, I want to point out that Nate is um, of, I would say, I'm not sure. I think he's of Indian ancestry. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I think there may be something to this as well, that when you are a person of color and how you may be experienced when all the leadership is white and not only are you experiencing bullying, you already may feel like an other. And then all of a sudden, you know my name, you're paying attention to me. People are standing up for me and saying it's not okay to be bullied. But then we see Nate start standing up for himself and even going into a uh, restaurant where he wants to take his parents and having initially a very difficult time saying that he wants the table by the window, but then eventually being able to stand up for himself and speak the words. So that empowerment that we talk about that's so important. Um, and so there's so many reasons why I think I fell in love with Nate because yeah. maybe I felt like Nate many times in my life. So now I'm like, let's talk about season two and what we started seeing because I think Nate is really pivotal because I still think it's about the story that we need to pay attention to in life right now. So what happened to, to Nate? Well, we see a, a, a swinging, I, I almost see it like a pendulum, you know, and we see a swinging toward uh, more and more kind of aggressive comments from Nate toward others. Um, and you start to see him start to be um, uh, more irritable and, and um, negative toward the person that took over, you know, that was hired to take his old job as kid boy. And so someone that was, uh, lower in the hierarchy, he starts to mistreat in ways that uh, is is surprising, you know, and um, and you start to see these little flashes of um, I don't know if I could say anger or aggressiveness um, in, in much more so in this in set in season two as the season progresses. And so as we see this happening too, it's like, oh wait, this is my Nate. <laughs> Right. To me, it was not my Nate. It was also me. The the person who, you know, maybe has, you know, gotten to do something they didn't think they could do, but somebody gave them an opportunity. And then sometimes, you know, the small part of Nate is being present. I don't know about the rest of you. I've had small parts of me sometimes come out. And sometimes they've happened when I felt betrayed by someone. And then I'm going, oh my gosh, the, the amount of aggression that I feel toward that person is really surprising. And so I'm seeing this starting to happen with Nate and saying, how can you be doing this to our 
Ted Lasso, who is beloved, who suffered so much, and yet is this uh, messenger and ambassador, you know, of hope. Um, and that was that was kind of that question was beginning to, oh my goodness, how what's going to happen with this? I don't know. Do you want to comment on that, Mike, about just seeing that? Well, I think that was it, is that you see um, it, it's such a... Uh, I'm going to say wonderful. It's a wonderful contrast. I just think this is what I love about the show. It's such good writing is that you see this beloved character start to exhibit signs of, oh, no, that's not the Nate, quote unquote, that's not the Nate we know. That's not, but, but when I think when you said it earlier, when you're invisible, I think about all of the, there's this little scene very little scene where Nate comes in the hallway and there's all these Nespresso makers in the hallway and he's now on coaching staff and, uh, and some sponsor bought all of these Nespresso machines to give to the players. And he comes out and he picks one up. He goes, Oh, this is nice. And the person in charge of handing him out says, Oh no, that's not for you. That's just for the players. And it's a simple scene. It's nothing. It's almost feels like a throwaway scene, but I'm like, that's it. It's this, Oh wait, I'm seeing, I'm part of it. And then, Oh no, no, you're not. And then how much that can tap into all of those, uh, what we would call memory capsules, in my opinion, right? All of these things that we've carried, all of these life experiences that that taps into and, and, and pops. And, and maybe some of those, like you said, those small parts of us, those um, even what I would call almost survival responses, that fight response that I may not have been able to do way back when, I'm gonna, it starts to bubble up and start to, to come out in ways that maybe as a viewer, I'm like, oh, no, not Nate. Don't do that, Nate. Be, you know, be more like Ted. But I'm going, well, wait a minute. Poor Nate has had a life of, it, it sounds like, just conjecturing based on what they've written about Nate as a character, has had this life of being ignored, this life of being mistreated, this life of, of uh, thinking, oh, I matter. Oh, nope. Those are I just don't. for the players. And so this is really important to us, right? Because we know, we've seen where trauma can get stuck in the body. And when it gets stuck, sometimes what will happen is that a fight response that was not able to be completed because you were too small, you were too little, you didn't think you could, that those behaviors get stuck. And they get stuck in terms of words, of anger, sometimes of actions that can lead to not only harming others and can be also the ultimate harm of oneself. So, I think we want all our listeners to know we have a framework of how we're looking at this this aspect of Nate, which is undigested trauma. And I have people that tell me this in foster care that um, where a foster parent will go, we're giving him all the love in the world. And, you know, he was fine in the beginning. And all of a sudden now this child is acting out towards me. And they go, so if we give love, isn't that enough? Well, maybe not. Because what has happened to them before, it may take a lot of love to cultivate that well-being in someone when they've been so traumatized. So we want to talk more. We're going to talk more about this after the break. And we're also going to talk about some of the other characters. Um, We're going to talk about Rebecca and Keely, the two main female um, uh, characters, and also the the growing relationship between them, one older woman and one younger woman. And I just love the fact that there's a mentoring that's going on actually between both. You know, can I learn from a younger woman? Of course. And can the younger woman learn from the older? And when it's not competition, but collaboration and camaraderie. And I think we've seen that also with many of the male characters too, that transformation of seeing possibly a new way to collaborate with one another and not necessarily to be, 
you know, fighting with each other. And I think that um, there's one quote I want to kind of highlight. Um, there's one episode when they're talking about um, uh, it's the hope that can kill you. It's the hope that can kill you. And then Ted says, it's the lack of hope that comes to get you. And I have to say, quite honestly, I think I've seen that around the world when I've been to so many of the disasters and the sufferings that have happened that have been perpetrated when the antagonist has been climate change or somebody who has perpetrated massive gun violence. It's, you know, when there's a lack of hope that we can't change the way the world can be, then, then where would we be as all of us as humanity? So more about this with Mike Sapp after our break. We'll be back in a few moments to further discuss the wisdom of Ted Lasso. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine Miller-Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at elaine at resiliencywithin.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Elaine Miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. 
Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Michael Sapp from the Trauma Resource Institute, and we're talking about trauma transformation and Ted Lasso. So, you know, we wanted to talk a little bit about leadership and what happens to some of us. I think we talk about betrayal. There's a lot of betrayal in Ted Lasso, I mean, as well as the optimism, but there's a betrayal of Rebecca, who's hired Ted um, because she wants the team to fail. And he is so optimistic and he starts changing the system, right? Well, and she wants it to fail because she herself had been betrayed by her husband, right? Yes, who cheated on her shamelessly yeah. and who continues to torment her. Yeah. Um, he's so cruel. I mean, the, the extent of his cruelty is, is really horrific to, to watch. Um, and then we see this again, we're going to come kind of come back to the, this thing that's happened to Nate again, as we've seen him transform and we, he was like our, our, our hero. Um, and then to see him start to, I guess, in my that almost unraveled to the point of this anger that's coming out towards Ted in a way that was surprising. So um, you want to say a little bit more about that, um, Mike, about. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that our dear, um, Nate. our dear Nate, I think that was the, again, spoiler alert, if you haven't already figured this out, but I think that that has been, that was one of the hardest scenes is to see Nate respond to Ted at, at, in, in the season two finale in such a way that um, it didn't resolve in the way we think, oh, they're going to patch things up. They're going to repair. It actually um, went the opposite direction where uh, Nate had even pointed out in such a degree that he, he fought so hard to be, you know, once he was seen by Ted, once he was known, he felt like Ted abandoned him. And he and, and, and Nate talks about, I fought so hard to, to make you see me again, and you never did. And, and he makes a reference to a photo that Nate had given Ted as a gift of Ted and Nate together. And he says, you know, you don't even put that photo up in your office. You have all these photos of other people, but not that photo. But what we know from a previous episode, which Nate doesn't know, is that, that Ted has that photo up on his dresser at home right next to a photo of uh, Ted and his own biological son that he misses dearly. And so you can see Ted holds Nate very dearly in his heart and cherishes him in that, in that scene. But then Nate isn't seeing that, you know, and, and doesn't feel that being communicated to him in such a way that is so hurtful to Nate. And of course, as viewers, we're going, no, but he loves you. How can, you know, and I remember, I remember watching it going, wait, when did he abandon him? Wait, you know, but that's the thing. I think that it it it, it offers me uh, a pause to say, okay, how do I communicate that care of the other? How do I communicate that value of that person? Um, but then also recognizing that there are some hurts that tap that are being tapped into, um, that are being communicated. That boy, you know, sometimes we're just in the in the firing line. Well, and I also think it, it comes that you and I are two individuals that are Caucasian. <laughs> we have advantage because we were born white. Yeah. Um, and so I think it also, to me, spoke to my advantages that I've had, yeah. that I have been blinded to, yeah. that I'm really trying to pull the blinds up so that I see it more readily yeah. and have those aggressions and microaggressions that have happened to Nate throughout his lifetime. And we know that he also has a an anguish relationship to his father that he reports as being very negative about everything, including towards Nate, that all that history 
can come and kind of knock into my history. When I, I'm being a leader, when I am communicating to others, that sometimes what comes back at us, not only is maybe our own blindedness, yeah. but also whatever has happened to that person before we ever met them. Yeah. So when I think back to Ned, uh, Nate and Ted, I'm thinking about, well, I'm wondering if that not seeing the picture there, even though you know, we know that it's there in his house, but that wasn't it. There was something, there was a lack of communication in terms of maybe embracing um, Nate in a certain way that maybe Ted was blinded to. Ted had a lot going on yes. the second season, right? Yes. There was a lot going on. And of course, we don't see everything. We only see the what the writers have given to us, but we fill in a lot of detail, don't we, right. about someone. Um, and I'm not just, you know, and I'm not saying this also. People might say, oh, you're just excusing bad behavior. I'm really not trying to do that. I'm trying to explain a behavior that is is um you know, is making me be curious about what make what made that happen to this person who I could also see was became respected and I could see him, you know, get empowered in a way. So, um, because I, it's happened to me, um, like I've said more than once on the show today, and I'm going, oh, and it's always been something, what did I do to cause this? And certainly I'm not to say that I've been blameless, but I think it also has to do with sometimes having a blinder on where I didn't see something that I needed to say, or, or like you said, how do I communicate with, you know, with our international community to make sure that we're doing a deep listen and that we don't miss important information that can continue to empower them and not feel like someone, whoever it may be, feel disenfranchised by what we didn't do or what we did do. Yeah. I mean, this is what it came to me. So I guess, you know, Ted Lasso here, I'm watching this thing to, you know, I'm laughing, I'm crying, and then I'm going, oh my gosh, there's a whole philosophy of now Ted yes. Lasso that is embedded, I think, in our culture between the two of us, Mike. Yep. Absolutely. And, and in fact, I think uh, you were saying that some, it's not to excuse, when you said that, I thought, you know what, one of our one of our core assumptions in our model is it's about biology, not mental weakness. And, um, and to observe those behaviors, I'm not going, you know, I don't, as a viewer, when I first saw Nate behave in that way, I was like, oh, it was so hard. But then as a psychologist, as a, uh, a believer in the models that we provide and teach is, oh, he's, this is a survival response. He is, he is experiencing, uh, uh, a hurt that responds in this way. And, and for me, I felt my compassion increase significantly for Nate once I started to think in that way versus, oh, Nate, don't do it, you know? Um, be better than that, Nate, you know, all of that stuff, right? Um, so so that, that I, I will say. Yeah, and so again, that's giving an explanation. That and not to say that um, in the last the last episode of the of the second season, there is an interchange, and I think the hard the hard thing for me was when Ted Lasso went back into his another hard part about it. There were many hard parts about it, is when he went into his office and that Believe poster has been such an inspiring thing for me during COVID. I would think of Believe and I go, okay, just believe that this is going to be over. Believe that we're going to do the right thing. Believe in our common humanity when there can be so much ugliness and vitriol. And there was something that happened when I saw the torn sign on Ted Lasso's desk that really, I mean, I was weeping at that point going, oh no, how can the belief sign? Because somehow the tearing up of that sign was tearing, <laughs> I mean, this is making me cry thinking about it. 
there was something that was so hopeful about it that a bit of my hope was taken away at that moment saying, oh my, if that's going to happen here, it can happen anywhere. But I guess the bottom line is that it could happen anywhere. That we can believe and sometimes we're disappointed. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, I I wrote down an observation early on in season one that that sometimes optimism and positivity still doesn't solve the problem. Yeah, I was thinking about that episode where he has that interchange with his wife and child that come out and visit. And he did what he could, but he recognized that no amount of positivity and optimism helped save his marriage. And, And so sometimes that just doesn't always result in what we want. But I, I have to, I apologize ahead of time. I'm going to geek out a little bit. Okay. Um, I came <laughs> across this. I'm going to, I came across this essay from someone about that particular episode that started to connect it to some of the themes. And, and I know Ted, what I, the other parts that I love about Ted Lasso is they borrow so much from pop culture and other references. Well, that particular episode, there were so many themes from Star Wars. And as you know, I'm a Star Wars fan. I know um, you're a Star Wars right? fan. Yes. So what someone had pointed out to is, they, they felt that there was a connection between even just the Rupert, the, the main villain, right? Rupert is, is kind of like the emperor. And what we're seeing is Anakin Skywalker making that transition into, into a, almost like a Darth Vader with Nate. And even just the whispering that Rupert has, we don't know what he said to Nate, but he whispered at least on a number of occasions into, into Nate's ear and we start to see this transformation. But that belief sign, they, uh, this particular person pointed out, says they think it represents that, that scene, almost that pivotal scene when we find out, again, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this, oh my, there's a whole nother show we should be doing. But um, in Empire Strikes Back, when Darth Vader reveals that he's Luke's father, well, that was right after he cut off his hand. And so someone had co- had made the connection that is that ripping of the belief sign kind of comparable to this this pivotal scene in Empire Strikes Back, where again you start to see this um, big reveal. But then also the other thing to me that when they drew that connection, the other thing that I thought about was the hope. Also, I'm, I'm starting to re-experience too because that wasn't the end of the story in that trilogy. That that pivotal scene, and and I look at that torn belief sign, going okay. I'm hopeful that that's not the end of the story. And that oftentimes when I think about transformation, um, sometimes, yes, it would be nice if transformation happened in a half hour, but sometimes that transformation happens over many, many, many days, many, 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 and it's very, uh, it's, it's rare to see it go linearly. And so we're seeing a transformation, I think, in Nate, I hope that that may have a good ending. It may not, but we're just in this moment right now in that transformation story. Well, and I think when you talk transformation, this is connected in my head. It may not be connected to yours. It's also about forgiveness. Yes. Because there are so many episodes where they have focused on forgiveness. Yep. Um, it's uh, Roy Kent's niece um, really going in oh. and addressing her bully. Love and that. I believe the signs that she, ha- she held was from another uh, pop culture movie. Yep. Love Actually. Um, Yes, and uh, and but at the end, the little the, she says to the little boy, "I forgive you," and then he says back to her, "I apologize. I'm sorry for what I did." And how many times have we not heard this in the last you know two years? Yeah. The apology, the saying that I'm sorry, and then Roy Kent also after yeah. <laughs> after Jamie uh, uh, said to his love Keely. Uh, that he loved her, he forgave him. Now, now Roy Kent has a very angry 
uh, <laughs> demeanor. Forgiveness but, is not a word that you would normally associate no, with you Roy Kidd but, early on. Yes, right? but I guess the other thing I want to say, there's a scene between Rebecca, and I am such a fan of Rebecca. Oh, Rebecca, yeah. you know, the, the sorrow, the betrayal. But when she starts falling in love, I'm, and I'm saying as a friend to Ted Lasso, she also becomes guilt-ridden of what she has done to him at every step of the way to make this Premier League not successful. And there is a point when Keely, who I think is such a fireball, Keely yep. is the young woman who actually says what's on her mind, and she is not afraid to say the truth. And, you know, the truth will set you free. I think we've heard that a couple of times. It may piss you off. It may piss you off, but it will set you free, right? That's what she says. But she encourages um, uh, her to tell the truth. But she didn't, at that point, didn't know the whole truth. And so that scene when she has to go and she knows she has to tell Rebecca has to tell Ted Lasso the truth of what she's done. And you could see her trepidation because she now cares for him so much. There's been so many caring moments they both have done for each other. And she goes into the office and she says, if you, you know, something to the effect, I don't know exactly what, but, you know, if you never want to talk to me again, blah, blah, blah. And what he does, he stands up and he looks at her and he says, I forgive you. And she's kind of steely up to that point in terms of her physicality. And he puts his arms around her and she almost looks a little bit, you know, and then he, she collapses into him. And to me, oh, look, I mean, I can cry just thinking about these moments in the show, but how many times have we wanted that forgiveness from someone? And sometimes we didn't get it because maybe they never had the courage to walk through that door and say, I was an absolute horrible person. And I want to say, I want to lay down on the line here and tell you what I did. But then to have that moment that they could say, you know, I forgive you. That to me was a transformative moment for both of them. And so, um, so again, when we came up with the title, Trauma Transformation and Ted Lasso, there were so many other transformative moments. And I want to get to Jamie um, Tart because he had a, had a very abusive dad. Um, we saw that dad be horrible to Jamie and just imagine him as a father to someone growing up and belittled, belittled him. And then what did we see Jamie doing? He belittled, belittled others until he came across Ted Lasso, who started treating him with respect and understanding, saying, hmm, this behavior, there's something better in him. He may not see it himself, but I see it. So the pivotal moment was when Jamie leaves the team. He goes to the adversarial team and they, the adversarial team wins. But the way they won is that Jamie became a team player. And instead of based on Ted's recommend, you know, based, yes, based on Ted's recommendation about what would make him a really great player was to pass the ball and not take the shot when he could. And he passed the ball and the other team member made the shot and they won. So at the end, we see uh, this, that particular episode, we see Jamie Tart's father just being despicable to him. And Ted goes by the window and hears it. And so then Ted writes a little note to Jamie um, and with one of his little army figures and gives it to another character called the beard to give to Jamie. And what happens? Do you remember what happened then? He he read the note. And the note I believe said, uh, good job making the extra pass or way to go on making the extra pass or congratulations on making the extra pass. Just again, a, a re 
affirmation of that that had noticed the growth, noticed what he did, um, and that that seemed to be. Uh, if I if I can look back, I think that was a pivotal moment that that then created the space for him later in season two when he wants to come back and play for Richmond. So I'm going to kind of do a segue now because I want to talk about Sam. Oh, Sam. And I love Sam. Yeah. And uh, Sam is from Nigeria. And what I love about the show, too, is they've taken a stand on environmental justice. Yep. Because Sam decides that he can no longer um, support the sponsor of the team because the sponsor of the team's um, kind of giant company has been scarring the coasts of Nigeria and really tearing up the environment of Nigeria. So he makes a stand that for me as a young man is so brave and says to Rebecca, I will not support that. So he goes in the locker room, he gets some black tape and he covers up on his t-shirt, the name of the sponsor. And so then we see, this is the second season, we see one by one, the teammates also covering up and Jamie Tart, who'd been so horrible also, not only to Nate, but to Sam as well, he takes the tape and he puts it over and you see them embrace. It was that other moment of, I'm going to be a better person. And I would say to me, I saw forgiveness happen from yep. Sam towards, yep. which he certainly could have gone the other way. Yep. But Sam has been to me, one of the sparks of hope yep. throughout the entire um uh, the entire two seasons. And it's interesting because when he started, uh, some of the things he did in season two, I went back and looked at season one again. I go, oh, there he's doing it then. Yeah. So I'm going to encourage people to watch it again because I've noticed as I've gone back and I think I've watched, the, I mean, I'm going to admit I've seen it four times, I think. I, every time I see it, there's another new element that I see that actually adds to my joy but adds to my contemplation about my own life struggles, which isn't that what we want great art to do? Um, and one of my favorite movies of all time is It's a Wonderful Life. And one of the, the Christmas episode in season two, we see um, Ted, who's not with his son for Christmas, and he was hoping to spend the whole day on FaceTime. Well, you know, he gave him a, a present. Little, his son wanted to go play with his present, so he's all by himself. And we see the, 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 the scene, and it's a wonderful life, you know, like you like the Star Wars, wonderful life. And it's the scene where Jimmy Stewart, the main character, uh, George Bailey, is looking and thinking about suiciding. And then the divine element of the universe comes in and sends an angel to help him, right? At, in the movie, the uh, angel Clarence goes along and helps the Jimmy Stewart carry, uh, character, George Bailey, see his life in a different way. Well, at that moment is when Rebecca calls him. Now, Rebecca had told him he was, she was going to an Elton John party, but what Rebecca was really doing was delivering toys to children who, were dis, who were, had economic challenge throughout um, the part of England that they live in. So, um, she, Ted joined her. And seeing that generosity happening, happening, oh, my God, it was so touching, right? Again, using one of my favorite these, episodes. It's, yeah, using this, these themes from the past um, for all of us, I think movies for me and TV programs have been part of my, um, my life. And to see them also carried out in present time and how the writers are, are, are threading them in to me is one of the fabulous parts of this whole thing. Well, and in that same episode, Higgins, which is one of my other, I mean, I, I could say one of my other favorite characters, 
I don't know if I have an unfavorite character. I don't know who I <laughs> we we you know? love them all. That's his right. favorite. We like like them all, Mike. I think but, at this point. <laughs> but in that same episode, Higgins opens up opens up his home uh, for the international players that may be missing their family to just come over, and he tells his wife, "Oh, maybe one or two will show up." Well, the whole team shows up because there's been a a, a culture that was created in that team now over all of these successive, uh, you know, months that um, these players come into their home and then they have this big, wonderful Christmas celebration and, and um, with each other, with these people that are feeling homesick. And so it highlights for me something that we didn't get to touch on as much, but I think you've, you've made uh, allusions to is how important community is in transformation because in every instance I can see where people transform Someone has whispered in their ear. Someone has shown compassion. Someone has shown forgiveness. Someone has opened themselves up to that, even to the, the psychologist, doc, is it Dr. Sharon? Sharon? Yes. Um, it, it is so, uh, that's the other piece to me about the show that I absolutely adore is um, I came across a quote and uh, it's uh, by Dorothy Day. It says, we have to create an environment where it's easier to be good. And what this show for me does is it helps illustrate um, an environment where it is easier, not easy, but easier to be good. And I think that happens in the community that we, we help create, that we help uh, shape. And, and so the, it's just something that, the, yeah, I'll stop there. I can go, I can go on. <laughs> well, I can okay. go on. I and I have to, you know, I want to go, we, we only have a few minutes left, but I want to talk about Danny Ro- Rojas. Oh, Danny Rojas, yes. Rojas. And Danny Rojas, who um, was making a pivotal uh, play and accidentally killed the team dog, which <laughs> afterwards just, I mean, he suffered so much. I mean, he, he loves dogs. Um, and he's just, he's just, but his, his line repeatedly is life is football. Soccer, football is life. Football, football is life. Is, football yes. is life, rather. Football yes. is life. And then he meets with a psychologist. Yeah. He goes, oh, well, she helped me. Football is also death. Yeah. And so, again, we see that pendulum, the dichotomies of life, right? Yeah. So, he de- as after meeting with a psychologist and kind of putting a different framework about what happened, he comes in and he scores. Yeah. Um, and there's the new dog <laughs> that the, the yeah. team was selected yeah. that is on the field. But I think that when we think about the things that are our passion, this is the other thing that I is I think is so important about Ted Lasso. Follow your passion. What is it that makes you passionate about your life? Is it football, soccer, uh, Keeley's PR, um, whether it's the love for your children, the love for your community, whatever it may be, I think that if we can embrace that love just like uh, football is life. Life is football, whichever way we want to say it. Um, that I think that our life is better. And when we walk with remembering that we can ask for forgiveness and have the courage to stand up, and you know, the courage to ask someone to forgive us is courage. But to know that we need to ask for forgiveness, I think, mm. is a hard thing for many of us to do. So um, I think that's another piece that's important to me. Now, in one minute. Mike, can you just sum up where you are right now as we're, we're going to leave for the, our listeners for the day? Another quote, such as we are, such are our times. You know, so how, how I want to show up is how I want the world to be. And, and I fail at it many times. But what I love about the show is that it offers the forgiveness is the big word, right? Can I show up even though I may make mistakes? And then can I own the mistake 
and live within community and help create a community of, of love and compassion. That's that. Well, I yeah. think you're doing that through the Trauma Resource Institute. And I'm going to so. end with a quote from Ted Lasso. He said, I can't tell you what lives beyond our physical world. I am by nature a believer, which I think I am too. So all of you in our Voice America family out there listening to us today, think about what do you believe in today? What can you embrace? Maybe if you need to ask for forgiveness, maybe take that step and remember what else is true about you. You may have been harmed by others, betrayed, but I think there's also a path of maybe trying to restore your life in a little way that we can take the lead from Ted Lasso. And it's Dr. Sharon Fellstone, in case you didn't remember her Thank name. You. Thank you. She, she, was, she rocked it. So oh. until next time. This is Elaine Miller-Karis from Resiliency Within with my dear friend, Mike Sapp, signing off. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karis, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within, with host Elaine Miller-Karras, is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.